Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 30 Baz purposefully left the door open as he followed Emma into the room Maeve had indicated. The bed was fancier than Baz would have imagined a piece of furniture being in this part of town, a four-posted affair seemingly straight out of a duke's personal suite. The frame was a deep cherry, and a canopy in a bright pattern of flowers and vines topped it. A low-burning fire and a small hearth provided the room's only illumination. "'Good night,' Maeve said, the sparkle of a smile still in her eyes. She shut the door. Baz glared at it as if Maeve could still see him. He saw what she was doing and was certain there was no altruism in her motive. "'Baz?' Emma's voice came from right beside his ear, making him jump. "'Illiterate ink, Emma! Don't!' His words turned to mush on his tongue as he faced her. Her shirt was undone down the front, barely covering what it was supposed to. The fire reflected off the curve of her chest, and Baz could neither stop himself from looking nor keep his heart from accelerating like a frightened rabbit. The skin around Emma's neck flushed, and she wrapped her arms around herself. While she was likely trying to be modest, the motion pushed her breasts together in a way that made Baz want to. He forced his eyes back to her face. Baz wanted to do exactly what he was thinking, perhaps more than he'd ever desired to do anything in his life. And despite her conservative gesture, Emma was no foolish girl with her head in the clouds. She knew what she was doing. He'd be free to act, and she wouldn't stop him but as with any freedom he'd ever been offered, strings were attached. You see what she's trying to do, don't you? Baz, Emma said in a throaty tone that made Baz want to loosen his belt. She looked at him through heavily lidded eyes. How about we don't talk about the old crone right now? Baz gulped and seriously considered, for one of the few times in his life, simply keeping his mouth shut and letting this play out. No one had actually wanted him before. Not like this. But even the yearning of a lonely youth couldn't dull the anger he felt toward Maeve. She wants to match us, so I'll be tied to her cause. The flush at the nape of Emma's neck deepened, but Baz didn't think it was out of longing now. She turned away from him, pulling her shirt closed. You really know how to make a woman feel special. Emma, Baz said, come on. You saw how she looked at me, heard what she said. Maybe she's right that I don't think things through, but I'm smart enough to see that even with surprise, the warriors are facing a losing effort if they can't counter the reader's power. She might dislike me, but she needs me, and she's doing whatever she can to keep me here. Maybe I realize that too, Emma said, turning back to him, and maybe I don't care. She began to slip her shirt over her shoulders, 
her momentary anger apparently seared away by a hotter flame. Bass frantically rushed forward and caught the garment, pulling it back around her. Using his grip on the fabric, he pulled Emma closer, forcing her to look up at him. Emma, don't you for a moment think I'm not more tempted than I've ever been by anything in my life, and that dance earlier? He smiled down at her, once again finding himself on the verge of saying to the elsewhere with his inhibitions. But when Emma didn't return the warmth of his expression, he hurried on. What I'm trying to say is you're lovely and... Lovely? That's what grandmothers call little curls. Scribes help him. Why did he even bother opening his mouth in front of the opposite sex? Don't overanalyze me. You make me feel just like that look in your eyes says I make you feel. But I barely know you, and I just lost maybe the only friend I thought I ever had. And I feel as if some old lady who regrets being unable to kill me is forcing me into this. So maybe we could, um, move a bit slower? Emma's glower finally broke, and she rested her forehead on his chest, letting out a long breath. All right, she said. Yeah, I get it. It's just, I've been alone for most of my life, and feeling someone so close to me, and, yeah. You? Alone? Come on, what about all those other cityless who were with you when you caught rocks in me? You seemed friendly enough with all of them. She chuckled softly not lifting her head off his chest. They treated me more like a mother than a friend, Baz. That's what happens when your mother is the most powerful woman they've ever known. No one really treats you like a normal person. What about Aelin? He seemed about ready to fight Marla, Hellar, and their entourages all by himself that day back in Undertone. He was ready to jump into nearly certain death for you. Emma was quiet for some time. Aelin certainly wants me, she finally said, and maybe I wouldn't mind having some of him, too, though my mother would drag him to the peninsula and toss him into the abyss if she ever found out he'd done so much as held my hand. But he's mostly just a pretty face. You don't think my face is pretty? This time she gave a full-throated laugh and looked back up at him. You could do with some more hair. She reached up and rubbed a hand over his scalp, knocking his hat to the floor. Her shirt began to slip down again, but she caught it with a shrug of her shoulder. Let's get some sleep, Baz quickly suggested, looking away from Emma's bare skin and shifting his weight with sudden embarrassment. He used his hat as an excuse to keep his eyes off her, retrieving it and tossing it on a nearby table. Emma was tying up the front of her shirt by the time he looked back. Bass slipped out of his boots, then they both stood there, staring at the canopy bed like children faced with an angry dog. Here, Bass finally said. You lie here. He pointed to one side of the bed. Emma hesitantly moved toward it. And I'll lie here. He pointed to the foot of the bed, at the opposite side. When Emma gave him a quizzical look, he hopped onto the bed, feet toward the pillows at its head, his own head resting at its foot. <laughs> Emma laughed. You really are good at getting yourself out of tight spots. Baz lifted himself up on one arm, giving half a shrug. Still smiling, Emma climbed onto the bed's other side, head level with Baz's feet. Not exactly how I pictured my first time sleeping with a man, she said. Well, I'm just full of surprises, Baz said, wiggling his toes in her face. <laughs> she laughed again. 
Sleep well, Baz. If you change your mind and wake me in the middle of the... You sleep well, too, he said quickly, rolling over so he couldn't see the look in her eyes. He half expected further objection, but after only about a minute, Emma's breathing slowed. Baz let out a relieved breath, though a large part of him felt disappointed. Still, even the excitement Emma had stirred within him could only win out for so long over the exhaustion he'd accrued over the past several days, and his eyelids dropped as if attached to lead weights. Right before he fell into sleep's embrace, though, Emma's hand found his, and they fell asleep together with hands clasped. Chapter 31 Baz woke with one of Emma's feet in his face. His cheek rubbed against the side of her leg as he sat up, rough hairs scratching his skin. Some likely would have found that off-putting, a woman whose legs weren't smooth as a gilt's edge, but he found a sort of visceral attractiveness to it. She was a real woman, not some beauty from a fairy tale. He shook himself fully awake, was he really fantasizing about the hair on a girl's legs? Emma was awake and staring at him when he glanced at her, which made him feel all the more idiotic. She smiled, the expression bringing a rosy glow to her cheeks. Her hair was a tangle, and her tunic was once again slipping down one shoulder. Baz had to bite the inside of his mouth to stop his mind from getting away from him. Morning, he said rolling off the edge of the bed and to his feet. I guess we'd better start planning for tonight. Emma continued to just lie on the bed for several moments, head propped up on one arm, staring at him. Baz cleared his throat and began busying himself with smoothing the wrinkles from his shirt. Take it easy, Baz, Emma laughed. You look more frightened than you did bringing that hoarder out onto the Undertone Peninsula. Baz wasn't entirely certain that Emma was not, in fact, correct. At the time, he'd had no idea what would happen out on that peninsula, whereas he had a pretty good idea what would happen if he submitted to the kaleidoscope of emotions that went through him every time he so much as glanced at Emma. But the few times he'd ever permitted someone to get closer than an arm's length to him, it had ended in tragedy. Baz cast his glance down to the floor. Oh, fine. Have it your way. She sat up, tossing her head so all her dark hair fell over one shoulder. Striding over to a washstand in the corner, she splashed water on her face and swished some around in her mouth. We'll need to select some books to take with us tonight, she said, after spitting out the water with such force that some splashed back out of the bowl and onto Baz. But there's plenty of time for that, Emma continued. I want to explore a bit of the city. I've never had an opportunity to see any of it before. You sure that's wise? Don't be dull, Baz. What are we going to do? Sit in this room all day? Are you sure you could contain yourself if we did that? She looked at him from the corner of one eye and brushed a finger over her lips. Baz had been following her movements with curious eyes, but now quickly rebusied himself with the wrinkles in his shirt. Where did you want to go? Emma gave an amused snort, shaking her head. You're certainly not like most other men, are you, Baz? Oh, I don't know about that, he said. Most men I know have to worry over being executed for merely looking at a reader wrong. After a while of that, you develop a certain cautious skittishness in everything you do. Right, Emma muttered. 
the red in her cheeks no longer indicating amusement. Sorry, come on, let's head out. Before exiting, she picked up Baz's hat, which he'd left on a table by the door. Coming over to him, she settled it onto his head. There, she said, one corner of her mouth turning into just the slightest hint of a smile. Now don't play with it, and don't lose that yellow feather. After giving the brim of his hat a final tug, she turned and opened the door. Baz followed her from the room without comment. They went down to the main room where they'd held the ceremony the night prior. The cauldron remained in front of the hearth, still full of the ashes of what had been a fortune's worth of spoken books. He considered for a moment, then stooped over the cauldron and scooped a bit up. "'What are you doing?' Emma asked. Baz shrugged. "'I'm not really certain.' With his free hand, he opened the mouth of the leather pouch around his neck that Ogues had given him and poured the ashes inside, then tucked it back beneath his shirt. "'Could come in useful,' he said after he'd stood back up. Emma looked at him as if he'd grown a mustache overnight, a very curly, idiotic mustache. Feeling a bit foolish himself, he looked about the rest of the room, realizing it was completely empty aside from the cauldron and a few sticks of furniture pushed against the walls. For some reason, that sent a chill down Baz's spine. After being overtaken by the mass of people during the prior night's dancing, it just seemed wrong for it to now hold no life at all. His mood brightened just a pinch when he noticed freshly baked bread sitting on a table by the door. Emma walked right past it and exited the house, taking a left down the narrow alley. Stomach rumbling in his ears, Baz grabbed both loafs off the credenza and hurried after Emma, giving her the other loaf when he'd caught up. She barely looked at it, moving with a purpose as if she knew where she was going. That was good, as he had no clue where to go. The geography and layout of other parts of oration had never been included in the limited education Torchsire Library had deemed necessary to give him. For a while, the buildings remained bunched together, many of the streets barely wide enough to permit the passing of a single wagon, nothing like the gilded thoroughfares that had greeted them upon entering Fortune. At many corners were the remnants of what appeared to have been curbs jutting from the sides of buildings, as if the streets had once been twice as wide, but had been built over to accommodate additional buildings. Barefoot, illit children with little more than rags for clothing scurried up and down the streets laughing, while adults with furtive eyes kept a wide berth from Baz and Emma. Baz was nearly done devouring his loaf of bread when they passed a mother and small girl huddled in a doorway. Emma tossed her loaf to the pair as she passed by, though she didn't stop to look at them. The woman looked at the food for a moment as if a bag of gilts had just dropped from the sky, then frantically dove atop it, knocking her little girl to the side in the process. Baz had been about to shove the final heel of his own loaf into his face and nearly choked, stopping himself. He looked from the bread down to the little girl. She was crying now, having hit her elbow when falling. Illiterate ink, he muttered, though his heart wasn't really in it. He stooped down in front of the girl and held out the bit of crust to her. Instead of taking it, she buried her face in her mother's skirts, the volume of her sobs increasing. Baz had no experience dealing with little children. 
He mumbled out what he intended to be an apology, but likely sounded more like incoherent babbling. Without warning, the woman snatched the crust from Baz's hand. Startled, Baz tottered back, landing on his rump. The woman cowered away from him as if expecting to be struck, wrapping a protective arm around the girl. Baz held out his hands in a calming gesture, then scooted himself backward several feet before standing. The woman was still cowering when he turned and left her. Emma stood a little way down the street, waiting for him. She had hands on her hips, staring at him with an expression that seemed mixed with amusement and anger. What? he asked. She shook her head and turned back down the street, motioning for him to follow. As they progressed deeper into the city, the roads grew narrower still. Baz had always thought Lower Erstwhile to be a depressing place, but at least there you could move your elbows without risk of injury. Here, if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you'd end up in your neighbor's house. Smoke spouted from dozens of chimneys that protruded from houses made largely of wood and thatch. He shuddered to imagine what would happen if one of those roofs caught on fire. Finally, the buildings began to spread out, First, the construction became more stone than wood. Then precious metals began to appear once more, shining in the early morning light. Seeing them up close, Baz's opinion was little changed from the day prior. Overdone would have been an understatement. The deeper they went into the city, the more glam there was, entire buildings with facades of gold or silver or bronze doorknobs made of diamond, towering windows framed in jade. It was like a drunk reader had thrown open his library's coffers and just tossed his riches out into the city. Over a rise in the street, they entered the Reading District, a vast circle formed by six stone mansions that could only be libraries. No other structures could be so needlessly ornate. And that was saying something, considering the lavish buildings Baz had already seen. Among other opulence, each was roofed not in thatch or shingles, but shining gemstones. Ruby, sapphire, emerald, onyx, heliodor, amethyst. They had front doors that more closely resembled portcullises than mere entryways, and were guarded by masked men armed with razors. For once, though... The harbors held little of Baz's attention. It was the three heads impaled atop spikes over the Emerald Library's gate that were more difficult to ignore. Monsters, Emma muttered. Still doubting you've chosen the right side, Baz? Baz would have snapped back that he'd never considered siding with the readers, but at that moment he had real concerns that the bread he'd just eaten would make a premature exit from his body if he opened his mouth. Emma continued on before he felt confident enough that he could reply without incident. At the center of the circle of gaudy estates was a structure that looked identical to one in erstwhile. It was a stout tower, shorter than the libraries that surrounded it, topped in a dome of weathered slate, facades separated into distinct upper and lower layers. At ground level, it was brown stone, with four arched entryways spaced equidistant around it. A triangular gable topped each lintel. Windows encircled the facade's upper portion. Separating the windows were pairs of decorative columns that supported a balcony that ran along the domed roofline. 
peaking the structure was a circular ivory sculpture with tick marks spaced equally around its circumference and what seemed to be a pair of thin markers shaped like needles attached to its center. It vaguely resembled the object in Xavier Tower he'd heard Deliritus refer to as a clock, though that one had been much smaller. A crowd was gathered around one of the conservatory's entrances as Baz and Emma approached, apparently listening to a man dressed in a white habit with a pen and inkwell stitched over one breast. He stood on a rickety wooden box. The conservator's hair was as white as his robe, and judging by the way his eyes roamed aimlessly about, never focusing, he was either completely blind or close enough that the difference mattered little. Separating the crowd from the preacher was a row of tall men, also dressed in white, though their clothing was marked with a quill crossed over a dagger. They were armed with halberds and maces, and their expressions were as unfriendly as a visage could be without snarling. Baz wasn't surprised. Everyone knew enforcers of the conservator militia were nearly as dangerous as harbors. Come on, Emma said. Let's hear what he's saying. No thanks. I prefer to stay as far away as I can from men whose daily outfits include spiked objects. I don't know how you can manage to simultaneously be the bravest man and the biggest coward I've ever met, Emma said, rolling her eyes. I'm the bravest? Wait, I'm not. It seemed he'd temporarily forgotten how to speak. What was it about Emma? Sometimes he felt as if he was losing his mind whenever she was near. Come on she said with a smile. He might be addressing the Galfet revolt. It's all the city's been talking about from what I hear. Baz grimaced, glancing back to the gore on display over the Emerald Library's gate. When he looked back, Emma was already yards away from him, pushing through the crowd. Cursing, he pressed into the mass of bodies after her. After suffering some rather creative insults and a few return shoves that nearly sent Baz sprawling to the pavers, they got close enough to the blind conservator to hear what he was saying. He was likely an aged vicar, too old to carry out questionings and so relegated solely to sermons. Alright, hello DT crew, welcome back to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is January 29th, 2023, as I record this, which is episode number 26 of season 2 of the podcast, and episode number 53 overall. Um... I've been using DT Crew <laughs> to refer to all of you for the past couple weeks in the newsletter, and no one's told me it's stupid yet, so <laughs> I'm sticking with it. But uh, let me know what you uh, what you think of that. Um, speaking of the newsletter, had great participation in the question of the week last week. It uh, seems all of you are uh, very into your pets, which isn't uh, surprising. Got lots of uh, excellent photos of. Uh, uh, readers' pets made a little collage, and that was featured in the newsletter this week. So if you're interested in seeing that, uh, I'll uh, actually I don't think I have posted the collage to Facebook yet. So I'll make sure to post the collage to Facebook, um, 
And uh, if you're interested in participating in future questions of the week, make sure you head over to dtkane.com and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, this week's question of the week is, do you have a favorite reading spot? Uh, send photos if you do. I, I know some of you out there have awesome uh, reading nooks or maybe even entire libraries in your houses. I'd like to see some photos that you know help me to both uh, fantasize about a future spot for me and then also give me ideas to maybe how I can change up my uh, home office here a little bit to be more uh, comfortable for reading. So, uh, you know, you can uh, tweet or Facebook message me those photos or uh, email them to me, dtkane at dtkane.com, or again, uh, sign up for the newsletter and you can respond directly to that. Uh, all right, other news in the DT Kane uh, publishing empire here. Uh, next Friday, or well, this coming Friday now, so that's February 2nd, I think. February 3rd, uh, I will be revealing the cover of Into the Dragon's Maw, Part 5 of the Spoken Books Uprising, uh, which is releasing in March, and uh, you will be able to put your pre-orders in for the ebook starting uh, on Friday, February 3rd uh, as well. So if you're interested in seeing that cover reveal, again, uh, sign up for the newsletter, or of course, you'll just be able to go to wherever you buy your ebooks and it'll be there for pre-order as well. So uh, consider uh, consider doing that. I guess I'll uh, I'll go ahead and read the blurb for part five here as well for those of you who haven't read it in the newsletter already. <clears throat> uh, so the the bold uh, tagline here is, uh, is a line of dialogue from Baz. <clears throat> and so it was, Baz concluded, that I abandoned my people mounted my dragon, and came to your lands. Not even the flame of rebellion can melt the snows of the icy heights in winter. So, despite their resounding victory against the forces of erstwhile, Baz and his rebels have spent the last four months holed up in the city of Enigma, waiting for the reprisal that is surely on its way from the rest of oration come spring. But just as the spring thaw starts, the unthinkable happens. Enigma is attacked, and one Baz holds dear is taken. Responsibilities are no. Baz goes after the kidnappers, accompanied by Rox and his recently returned book dragon, Aramir. Their chase takes them into the Karst, the mysterious wasteland beyond the eastern limits of Oration. There, Baz meets the natives and enlists their aid. But the natives' help isn't free. They have a problem of their own. The Ravagers, wild barbarians who live at the borders of their territory, have a new leader, a terrifying figure known simply as the Placid Man. Baz must agree to dispatch this villain and return for their aid in finding the one who has taken from him, or the one who was taken from him. Sounds easy enough to Baz. After all, he has a book dragon. But the Placid Man is no ordinary foe, and when Baz learns his true identity, everything will change. Continue Baz's journey in the next installment of the Spoken Books Uprising, coming in March 2023. Uh, so again, uh, pre-orders for that will be starting February 3rd, Friday, February 3rd. Uh, all right, hope you uh, hope you guys are pumped for that. I'm excited to hear what you think of the cover, and uh, even more excited to hear what you all think of uh, the story once you get a chance to read it. Uh, all right. Um, 
think that brings us to our fantasy quote of the week. Uh, this week's quote is from Stephen Brust and his uh, story Zureg. That's a J H E R E G. If uh, any of you are looking to look that story up, J H E R E G. He writes more like uh, I don't know if they're novellas. They're longer than short stories, but they're not like full novels. But they come packaged in like three stories to a book, so the whole thing is probably the the length of kind of your typical fantasy novel. Uh, and they're good. Uh, the main character is kind of a you know an assassin who also who also knows magic, and there's lots of uh, you know uh, witty, dry humor in it as well. Uh, highly recommend. But this quote is from uh, the first installment in the uh, in the series. That's the the Vlad Taltos series. V L A D T A L T O S. Vlad Taltos series. Um, and in that series, Vlad has a, uh, a familiar called a Zureg. It's basically a miniature dragon, <laughs> but they're called Zuregs in, uh, in Mr. Brust's world here. And this is where, uh, uh, Vlad, the main character, is, uh, obtaining the egg for his dragon, uh, for the first time. He's talking to the dragon's mother here. <clears throat> mother, I thought back to it as clearly as I could. I would like one of your eggs. What? she asked. Do you offer it? I offer it long life, I answered, and fresh red meat without struggle, and I offer it my friendship. And what will you ask of it? I will ask for aid in my endeavors, such as are in its power. I will ask for its wisdom, and I will ask for its friendship. Again, that's uh, Stephen Brust's Zureg story. Um... You know, and obviously this is kind of a story about him acquiring a pet, and the theme of this week's newsletter was pets. So uh, I thought I'd do a little essay here about uh, about dogs. Uh, my wife's aunt's golden retriever features in the uh, <laughs> the photo accompanying this essay, if you're wondering whose dog that is. Um, so here's the essay. Buying a dog is like buying a tragedy, or so some say. And there's certainly some truth there. From the moment you bring that animal into your life, you know two things. One, you'll become attached to it. And two, it will almost certainly die long before you do. But I also think the transient nature of our pets is what makes them so special. We know they won't be around forever and cherish them all the more because of it. What's more, there's a rare beauty in the bond created by choosing such a relationship. When you bring that animal home, you're saying to it, you don't have to worry for the rest of your life. I'll take care of you. And for that, they give us their unconditional loyalty. That's powerful. Tennyson's famous age-old question is also implicated here. Is it better to have loved and lost than to never loved at all? The millions of dog owners throughout the world make the answer clear. And really, it isn't hard to see why. The more I learn about people, the more I like my dog, said Mark Twain. I don't necessarily share Twain's cynicism, but then again, I can think of many more animals I'd rather spend time with than I can people. So, um, there's the, <laughs> there's this week's essay. Uh, I hope you like that. You know, maybe if you are, are uh, you know, with an, with an older pet on your hands or you just recently lost a pet, maybe that, uh, Helps give you a little perspective there. Hope you uh, 
hope you enjoyed that or just keep that in mind as your pets do age a little more i think it uh you know nothing is ever going to uh fully take the sting out of losing a special pet but uh maybe keeping these ideas in mind will will help you out um a little and of course uh if you have any favorite fantasy quotes send them my way you can email them to me, dtkane at dtkane.com, and I may very well feature one in a future installment of the newsletter uh, and the podcast. Uh, so that is all for this week. Just another quick reminder, uh, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can support me over on Patreon, patreon.com slash dtkane. Uh, all support tiers get free copies of all of my eBooks, and including future ones. So, uh, uh, if you're thinking of uh, buying uh, Into the Dragon's Maw, for example, you will get a free ebook copy uh, if you are a patron, or you'll get a free physical copy if you're uh, if you join up at the orator level, which is the mid tier level. Uh, and as always, a huge thank you to my current patrons, uh, orators Jan, Jason, and Patty, and Declaimer Diane. Uh, okay, so that's uh, I think that's it for this week. Uh, oh, I guess we should go, I'm sorry, I guess we should go over next week's reading assignment. This week we read chapters 30 uh, and the first part of 31. I know we kind of uh, finished abruptly, uh, kind of right in the center of chapter 31, but uh, it's maybe the longest chapter I've written in any of my my books, and it didn't really make sense to uh, have it as just one week. So... Uh, next week, we'll read the remainder of Chapter 31, which is kind of a story inside uh, the story. Uh, lots, several authors are famous for that. Patrick Rothfuss, I know, uh, is, is known for telling stories within his, uh, within his uh, King Killer Chronicle story. So I've done that a few times in my works as well. But it's a bit of a, a, bit of a parable from the past of oration, but... Uh, you know there are certainly uh, things in it that are relevant to uh, to the current story. So it's the the story of Devon Stair, the steadfast. He's he's thrown into a dungeon by uh, you know a uh, a evil evil dictator type uh, type uh, overlord, and uh, we see how he uh, struggles to escape and uh, the struggles he goes through to ultimately overthrow that villain. So uh, we will read that next week, again, the second half of Chapter 31 of Declaimer's Discovery. So tune in next week for that. And until then, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube... Give this video a thumbs up if you liked it, and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.